0: So with me on today's sustainability podcast is Michael Kern, Head of Building, Services, Energy and Utilities. Yes, correct. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, And uh, first of all, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael, and what got you interested in sustainability?
1: Okay, thanks, Uluun. Thanks for the invite as well. Delighted to speak and talk about the journey so far. I suppose originally from Derry and uh, growing up there, was interested in engineering, so went off to University in Liverpool and uh, did a degree in building services. Uh, It was one of the only degree courses in the UK in terms of building services, and so I was really interested in it from that side. And then once qualified, I have been working in both in Ireland uh, and Northern Ireland uh, with small practices, large practices, and I suppose like I've been a chartered engineer for the last 20 years in building services. So a lot of experience from hospitals to even a crash up to an airport, a small house, a big house, lots of experience here on the campus over the last eight years since I joined the university. So it's been a wide and varied um, journey so far.
0: So what part of all of that, and I imagine it, there's, there's a lot there, but what particularly uh, drew you to sustainability or was it just part of your job?
1: I suppose it is part of my job, it is part of the it's a small portion of my job. Uh, it's about ten percent of what I actually do on a daily basis. But I was reflecting on this before. We 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 had the discussion and back in nineteen ninety, on my first job when I was sixteen, I worked in a place called the scuba market in Derry, right in the middle of the Bog Side. And the philosophy behind the shop was it was bins of product, like flour, cornflakes. So we were doing that in the 1990s. We weren't using plastics. So you brought in your own glass jars or your own box, and you filled it up. So that was my first experience of, I suppose, recycling and you know plastic waste. And then again, you know, looking back over other things, uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, like the dreaded words were, you know, who left on the immersion. So that was your first taste of energy for anybody and anyone of my age. That's that. You know, you were scared to leave the immersion. On. So again indirectly maybe economically we were looking at it from a point of view of reducing energy but also financially so yeah i've experienced quite a lot of projects as i say over the years different variety but sustainability in the last i suppose since you know come to the university i've had a lot more focus and being the epo which is the energy performance of the university It's a lot of focus on that and it's an exciting, it's an exciting time to be in this industry as far as I'm concerned. So, and we're learning every day from it.
0: So you said there that uh, actually sustainability and energy sustainability is only Mm. 10% of your job. So what is, what is your role completely? If you don't mind me asking, could you just describe it?
1: Yeah. So um, building services is a wide variety. So, in terms of what building service engineers do, and as a chartered engineer, both with Engineers Ireland and the Chartered Institute of Building Service Engineers, um, I've just actually finished a two-year stint as head of building services. And building services came to the fore in the last three years because of COVID. Looking at ventilation, looking at CO2 rates, looking at how we operate buildings. So, in 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 essence, we've come forward rather than, and we've come into the limelight of the architect and the structural engineer and from that basis we can see that you know the whole umbrella of activities that i do on a daily basis whether it's fire whether it's the first aid whether it's mechanical ventilation heating it's electrics it's lighting as we are here now or even the operation of how we you know pay our bills in terms of the gas and the water so it's a huge scope but under you know it's there's a team under that i work with and they're an excellent team. If I name them all now, they would be all embarrassed. But I just want to acknowledge that team, both as an operational team, but also as the energy team, because they are the energy team as well. And uh, we have a lot of key key members of that team. And again, I'm not going to name anybody because I don't they embarrass sound, anybody. They
0: sound a bit like superheroes, though. The energy team.
1: The energy like, and they were awarded back in 2019. We did win the SEI Energy Team Award, and that's a lot of hard work that goes on on campus that you won't see. You know. Way i describe building services is that if you just have a box with nothing in it it's not exciting but everything to make that box happen like the room we're in now a building service engineer will have been involved somehow whether through electrical mechanical even talking to the lift guy outside or air conditioning you know it's such a body and i do some talks sometimes with schools and explain to him you know we're trying to careers to encourage them to go into building services and the way i describe it is it's like the human body So the structural engineer, everyone knows a structural engineer. So he would design the skeleton. The architect, he would design the body. And then the interior designer, which everyone loves, would design the clothes. And the civil engineer would be the feet, because he'd be on a sturdy surface. But the building service engineer does everything else. He makes the body work in terms of the blood flow, the ventilation, the eyes, the ears, the brains. So it's a huge, and when you explain it like that, it's like, oh yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes more sense.
1: You know, so we make the body work. The body's there, it's not moving, but with all the blood and the ventilation and the arteries, that's what we do on a daily basis. So
0: basically, the campus is like the body.
1: Sort of. We've, we make this place operate. You know, It's funny, when you drive past at night and you see the amount of, the size of the campus, a walk is it on, it's part of the campus I'm sure a lot of people have never been in on the roofs or in the basements or in the ducts and these guys daily look, make sure that this operates in the way it should operate and make it more efficient.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I think we, we, the rest of us quite take that for granted quite a lot because we don't see it. We don't see the work going on in the background. Um, And obviously it's a large organization and the campus is very, very widespread and there have been a lot of new initiatives. Uh, I suppose. Maybe you could tell us a little bit um, about the work that's been done in the last few years.
1: Yeah, I suppose uh, the campus is not just, it's not the physical campus here, it's also our campuses, whether it's in Shannon or Glidore or out in Karna. So we look after all of those campuses as well from a point of view of energy. Um, we work to what uh, is the government's targets on energy and how we try and reduce those. And as I say, from the university's point of view, 10 years ago, we had a campus. of I, I don't want to get into a lot of numbers today, okay? So it's just, I'll give you some brief. But the campus was 125,000 square meters. That's what it was back 10 years ago. It's now over 230,000 square meters. And we have reduced the energy as part of a team, as part of the university, and our colleagues and students, we've reduced it by 50%.
0: That's amazing, because really what you're saying is the campus has doubled in size. Yeah. And at the same time, energy has been reduced by nearly 50%. Exactly. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, And again, I should confirm that the energy policy is signed by the president. It's not signed by me or it's not signed by someone else. It's the president because it has to come from top down. And the university, um, there's been numerous projects. And a lot of the projects have been completed by financial support and also time support by the university and our partners like the SEI or the HEA so in terms of the campus, what projects have we done? Like the team together and with our subcontractors as well, we've replaced six and a half thousand light fittings. The LED, they make them more efficient. We've installed over 500 kilowatts of power on campus on our roof through solar PV. And we've,
0: nobody sees those. You won't see those. No, no Unless probably, we make a
1: lovely video and we fly across the sky. And probably
0: you know. we don't see the lights, although we see them, we don't kind of understand that possibly the are LED lights. Exactly. And then
1: we put in sensors. Uh, we've looked at in terms of heating. Uh, we were delighted to be involved with a recent pathways project with the HEA and SEI in the Ars de Bruin building. And that was our first real big retrofit project. So this was a BR rated. You'll hear a lot about BR rating over the next seven years. And you hear a lot about carbon. But that building went from a D1, which was gas heating, windows not really that you know, airtight, Bad heating system. So now with the work that we've installed, and it was it is a research project as well. It's gone to an A three, so that means it's a more efficient building. We don't use gas anymore in the building. It's electrically heated, but it's controlled, and it's controlled in terms of that we understand now how the thermal comfort is in the building.
0: And when you say it's part of a research project, Mm. that means that you're using work that researchers um, in the university are doing, and you're both working together.
1: Yeah. It's I, I My own philosophy is that, you know, in terms of being an engineer and being chartered for 25 years, there's always a thing about paying it forward. And you're always paying it forward to the, the new engineer or the, the engineers come behind you. And any application we make for funding, whether it's the SEI, HEA, it's important that we're in basically involving our students. So working with uh, Dr Marcus Keane and the Arts to Boom project, we had three uh, master students from uh, the School of Engineering working on the project, whether it was through the BIM technology or whether it's through monitoring or air quality, etc. So with those working on a live project, you're getting live experience. You can't beat live experience.
0: Yeah, that's amazing yeah. as well because when you think about it, you have a huge advantage because you have these students who are more than keen to, to research these areas mm-hmm. and you can uh, kind of profit from from the research that they produce. And it helps everyone. In the community,
1: it helps. It's it's seen as a, sort of a case study. This is a great case study because we've already had like five or six different um, entities come visit the project. We set the project up. They go, "Oh, your plant room is huge," but it was set up in such a way that make it easy for people to understand and see what we're doing. Our data is live; Uh, it's on our our control system, so people can log in and look and see. Uh, We've researchers in the actual factory that provided the heat pump in Sweden, who are daily looking at our heat pump to see what's going on. So we're not just benefiting from it; the the factory is benefiting, and the students. It's. I think it's important as well. Like our like our students. Like we have nineteen thousand students. And as I said to someone, that's nineteen thousand energy engineers. You know, I have the biggest playground to play with here, and it's it's it, we've we can do projects here that are influential. They're also leading, and they're also from a point of view of our students, they're learning. Like I think we during the summer there we worked with the uh, with William um, in the School of Engineering. And we had 10 student teams carrying out community projects. So I gave them the different titles, whether it was solar PV, it was car parking PV, whether it was traveling to work. And they've produced amazing projects. And we always try and at least implement one. So when these guys come back in September, we'll meet up with them in October, we'll do a presentation day, and then we'll try and implement one of the projects. We've implemented three or four of these projects over the last number of years. So... Whilst we're doing all these big projects, it's important that we're paying it forward. I, I said something le- recent, and I was called an elder lemon. <laughs> I was like, what? It's just, come on. Like, so you're paying it forward, making sure that other generations um, that are here on campus, that we can utilise them.
0: Exactly. And that's fantastic. It's fantastic. We're all learning. It's not just the students. I think a lot of staff are learning a lot more about sustainability and what we can do as well. Um, Just in terms of other works that have been done um, on campus, I know a lot of people... Um, will have noticed the drilling, um, and that's part of the Geofit project. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so the Geofit project is uh, it's a joint uh, venture between the university and the Geofit partnership. And so what it is, it's, we've drilled into the ground 150 metres down with 18 boreholes. And from that, the heat's extracted from the ground. And it's pumped back into the Alice Perry building, where it's brought through a process. And uh, it goes into another heat pump inside, buffer vessel, starting getting technical. And then it's pumped from uh, the Alice Perry back into the Kingfisher, which will heat the pool. This is a massive project because the it's not just the... As I would say, it's not just the engineering side that we're understanding, it's also the geology. Um, like the cores that came out were amazing, you know, and they will be displaying. The geologists will be reviewing those, but it's also economical. It's looking at life cycle as well. So, how does this process work? We're one of the largest um, geothermal projects in any of the university campus. So there's massive learning. There's years of learning ahead with this project. And again, I think with learning, you also have to make mistakes. You have to understand, well, did it work if I adjust this lever, if I adjust that temperature? So there's lots of learnings over the next few years. And for the university, I think it's um, it's, it's forward thinking in terms of, you know, like it's a technology that we're using. But with everything that we do here, we will compare the geo uh, energy against the air to water energy that we did in ours to Brune. So we can compare to see, well, is this efficient or is that more efficient? So, yeah, this it's, it's an exciting project. And of
0: course, then we have solar panels on the roofs, which is like our own little kind of solar farm, really, which I didn't know very much about either.
1: Yeah. So I suppose a lot of the projects we do, we carry out um, and the projects just to sort of set it into context. Um, we follow, obviously, the, the government mandate to reduce our energy. And doing that, we use what's called ISO 50001, which is an ISO standard. I think we're one of the only ISO standards uh, bodies here in the university. And we report annually and we get audited annually every year, three days. They come and do the audit. And it's fantastic because every year we're learning from it and it, it's working through. But we set out a register of opportunities of what projects we feel that are necessary to reduce the primary energy, whether it's through the gas or the oil, and from that, then we say, right, okay, these are projects we'd like to implement. And the university, uh, again, supporting financially and time-wise, we can implement those. The solar PV is one that I feel this, it's, it, it's got such a, a, a positive for the university. Like at the minute, we have half a megawatt installed. <coughs> excuse me. Half a megawatt installed on a roof. No one sees it.
0: Nobody sees it at all.
1: So in recent, uh, as part of our climate action plan, we did uh, have a training day for the senior management team, including the president and some of the deans. We brought them to the roof of the human biology building. And there's a great viewpoint there. You see most of the campus. So they're able to see all the solar PV. So if they had not been brought up there, you know, they wouldn't have seen it. So we're looking to say, well, how can we communicate that better? But our plan is that uh, we have another 200 kilowatts uh, on top of the art science that will be installed uh, probably the next two months. But our biggest uh, sort of outlook, what we'd like to do is what's called a solar farm. So our plan is to look at, we're putting a, together a package at the minute, looking at a solar farm in North Campus where the park and right is. There's a green that heads down towards the river. So it's a dual project where we're creating, obviously, power from solar, but we can use it as a biodiversity field as well. Oh, so fantastic. we're looking at, so you're, you're, you're it's a... It's a win-win from biodiversity, but also from the solar because that energy then will feed from that we generate will feed back into the the science research building, and that'll help offset some of the the large electrical loads up there.
0: Okay, okay. And in terms of carbon production, mm-hmm. how much carbon do we as a university use, or how yeah. much do we? You know, how much? How, <laughs> how much do much we spend? Anyway, yeah. Yes,
1: I suppose from a point of view, like. Um, the climate action plan that the government that we all hear about is climate action plan 2023 and the government are focusing currently really on what's called the scope one and scope two and um, sort of and that parameter so they're based around say our gas how much gas we use how much oil we use how much uh, wood pellets we're using uh, that's scope one and scope two is our electricity what we're buying in so again the solar pv the more pv we generate the less we're bringing in from the grid so that reduces our carbon in May, we generated enough solar PV to have one free day from the grid. So our ambition is to have two free days, three free days. So that's right. So in terms of that, um we generally in the scopes one and two, it's about three thousand eight hundred ton a year. Sorry, and that's where we're sort of saying we have to reduce that three thousand eight hundred ton of CO2 as a campus on the scope three, which is a whole Pandora's box. It's massive. It's all about travel. It's about water, waste, construction, procurement. It's about 60,000 ton.
0: Okay. So So that's, that's, that's quite a lot. That's quite, it's a very ambitious project to, to, but what's been achieved so far would give you hope that a lot more can also be achieved. So what would you like to see happening? What are the projects you would like to see happening or you're hoping will happen in the future?
1: So as part of the range of opportunities, one aids the big, obviously, the solar farm. But we also have, um, I suppose, we've focused on two real distinct projects. One would be our north campus uh, district heating system. And the second would be our south campus district heating system. So from a central boiler house, uh, we will be looking at a low energy technology that would feed a number of buildings. So our north campus would be the Orsmanola, uh, Cairns, uh, Science and Tech, Alice Perry, then get up into student accommodation try and feed them off in one so the district heating systems are one of the main actions in the climate action plan that the government are looking at they've had success in tala so we've actually met them recently and looked at it and we have a a scope of works ready these are going to be big projects that are infrastructural and whilst they're ambitious i think they are shovel ready that we could be doing it because we have we have the experience of this and we have a ready-made uh, energy room that can go ahead but the other stuff that we're looking at is retrofit and that's the big journey that's the real big journey that we have to be. because on.
0: we do have some quite old buildings um some probably that would be covered by building regulations so that you couldn't touch them um, and then just older buildings in general so they and they are quite large again so i suppose they could be problematic
1: they're problematic and again i, I keep reference back to all projects are small projects so if we do them bit by bit by bit and we make a an effort to try and control what we actually are trying to achieve. We do, as you say, we have the nineteen seventies buildings, Art and Science Building, which is a huge building, and to retrofit that up will take a number of years. And the same with like the I suppose even the quadrangle. The quadrangle over the last number of years we've we've carried out work through our, our buildings team where the The whole building was pointed. They're working a window. So you can actually feel the heat staying in the building. And we reconfigured a lot of the heating system up there. We've installed a wood pellet boiler up there. We've installed more efficient boilers. So little tasks from the register, it it goes a long way.
0: And of course, it takes a substantial amount of investment as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's fantastic that that investment is being Done in in sustainability and on the campus. Now, just just to, just to touch on the climate action roadmap um, that you have, uh, you mentioned this, and could you tell me just a little bit about that and what it hopes to what you hope to achieve?
1: Okay, so the, how the climate roadmap came about was the government set out under the Climate Action Plan twenty three. The three main objectives. The first objective was that our carbon, our greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. would be reduced on campus by fifty one percent. Now, that is on the energy side, the scope one and two, with a small bit of travel. Uh, It sits out, all the other stuff sits outside that scope at the minute, but I have a feeling all that scope will be coming back in in the next couple of years. So that's where we have to look at trying to reduce over nearly 4,000 tonnes of carbon before 2030. The next objective then was our primary energy of 50%. Now, we were thinking we were great. It was 50% on our 2006 baseline, and they changed the baseline to 2018. But again, it's achievable. We have the knowledge. We know what we want to do. We have our register where we're going. But the third item then was that by the end of Q2 of 23, all public sector bodies must have produced a climate action roadmap, showing how they are going to be climate ready uh, for 2030. Uh, So I sat down... Our journey has been 10 years. We've been working on this. We know what we need to do. So as part of our Climate Action Robot, which is available on the sustainability website, we have nine clear actions. So the nine clear actions are around leadership. They're around training. They're around ISO. They're around uh, quality. They're around procurement, how we travel. So it's a mixture of a lot of activities. But one of the main actions was, is by the end of Q2 as well, that the senior management team in university would carry out some sort of carbon basics training. I'm delighted to say they did. They've carried out the course. They've seen, they've done a carbon basic uh, course with the SCI, and that was encouraging because what it means now is that we now start cascading that down through the rest of the technical teams, through the operations teams, through administration teams. But running in parallel with the students' union, we work with SCI They set up an academy so the students as well can avail of this because the students really come up with the ideas. Of course. And we just implement. And they are and the future. And they're the future. And they, like some of the ideas that we don't know I keep saying there's, there's probably processes and activities in the renewable energy side, like the hydrogen, like the wave. We don't know what's needed in terms of skills. So these students are developing and the more we can assist and make it easier for them, they practice what they want to research here on campus. You know, it's a win-win for everyone.
0: And do you think um, one of the biggest challenges, I'm just speculating, one of the biggest challenges that we all face is behavioural change?
1: We, behavioural change, I classify, we have the, in CUSP, we have the live, learn, lead. And as part of the lead, we have energy. And so I've broken it again, and I'm calling it my orb. <laughs> so it's our operations, our research, drug teaching, and then behaviour. Operations and research are working really well, and behaviour has started to come into it. But behaviour is massive. And it's, again, uh, we keep asking ourselves, you know, oh, this, this whole climate change is huge. I think if we get away from that thinking and look at it, you know, locally, looking at it your own house, looking at your own living room, and break it down to that, that's where you can see the challenge. And it's we know what's going on. There's high temperatures. There's flooding. But I think if we start looking locally, as a university or as a person, you know, we make we subconsciously make decisions every day that you know we talked about it before, and you can see, you know, by switching off a of light. You've made a conscious decision to do that. So you're ready, you've made a change by deleting emails, by switching off your computer, or looking through your spam and deleting it, or even just hanging out the washing on the line. <laughs> it's these are the small bits and in the small chunks they eat away. And that's how we've done it as well. Like we didn't just say we're gonna do one big massive project. We've been in little projects. And the little projects all add up and that's where you're gonna meet your target.
0: So. And do you, do you think as well that training will will help people just be more aware of their habits day to day at home and at work?
1: Yeah, I think, and we've, and I suppose, like we had the event in January where we had the expo, the energy expo on campus, and it was for staff and students and the community. And we had people then talking about uh, insulation, how you insulate your house, how you drive an EV, how you drive a car more sensibly in terms of trying to reduce your consumption. And we had stands in the room as well, but... I think you know the plan is as part of our action plan to do more of that next year and roll more of that out and have more interactive days that you know staff our students can learn we can do our swap shop, we did the light bulb swap shop, and that was fantastic. you know bring in your and old what, light bulb okay. we we'll give you a new led well, that's and amazing. it was it was a simple idea but it its the process because when you're swapping across the light fitting you know you start talking and you start communicating. And say well what else did you have and do you have a heat pump or even oil boiler do you know this and i think when we get that dialogue going and we can see i suppose we we, we work in a sort of environment where it's all about learning and i think collaboration is huge and if the more we can collaborate with people and the more we can sort of bring them on a journey we can't i don't think we can start saying you must you must you must no you must never works you know this is the tools we can give you these tools and we can help you people have a lot of other things going on, you know, climate is maybe, you know, in the back of their mind somewhere, but let's just start drawing it forward. And I think the whole, um, you know, the psychology of climate and the psychology of heating, I think it's huge. And hopefully, you know, it's one of the objectives we have as well as part of the, the climate roadmap is that, you know, we get involved with our students in the School of Psychology and see its studies and see because like it's huge. You
0: know. It is really. And I suppose it is very interesting. Um, I know you said something the other day to me about radiators in a room, mm. how people kind of gravitate towards radiators because they automatically just assume they'll be warmer, whether they're on or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, I suppose, is part of the, the kind of change in behaviour we need to be aware of. Um, and I suppose just to finish up with, um, what would be three things that you would recommend that we could all do every day in our lives to help with sustainability?
1: Okay, so I suppose the first one really would be understand the jargon. There's a lot of different names out there. There's carbon neutral, there's carbon net zero, there's carbon footprints. And I think for the university community and hopefully if it goes well, we can expand that out. We will be running courses from September onwards, where we can, you know, we the carbon basic training with the SCI partnership. They will show us. They'll understand. They'll tell you what the jargon means. But just a little bit of knowledge will help. So that you're not when you're listening to the news and you hear these words, you'll understand what these words means, and you know what's the CO two level and how's it measured. So it from that side, that would be the first one. The second one then would be engage and collaborate with ourselves. You know, like we run campaigns about switching off, and again, it's not you must, you must, you must. You know you know, please assist or do whatever you can do. And and if there's some activities going on on campus, whether it's, um, you know, switch off on a Friday, like, as, as I always say, I'd love a big red button, just outside my office on a Friday evening, and press the red button and switches the campus off, but we can't do that. And again, when we're looking from a point of view of carbon, our university is a live research and it's getting bigger and we're being more ambitious on the terms of research. So we have to ensure that, you know, how we measure and how we, uh, I suppose, Utilise our campus as a space is, is very important. I think the third thing really then is that for those that have the experience, they basically pay it forward. Um, I was asked recently, like you were chair of SIBSI for the last three years, what was your most, you know, what did you enjoy the most? And I have to say one of the, the best days I've had, even been in university as well, was actually back in January. Uh, we, we had the Energy Expo, but I felt we had to widen it out a bit. And uh, so we involved the SEI Schools Programme. And we brought the students, or the pupils from uh, St. Patrick's School just around the corner. And we had them in the cube. And we had set up activities for colouring in and reading books. And, but the highlight of the whole lot, okay, Guzler was there, who's their sort of mascot. But that real highlight was our president addressing the children and reading the book to them and explaining the book to them. I thought that was magical because my phrase was, guys, you'd be all back here in 10 years doing energy degrees. So again, if we can... Like, I've knowledge, there's loads of other people's knowledge, pay it back, bring the students through, whether it's through Engineers Ireland and STEM or in SIBSY with STEM or whatever. Like, they, they We just need to bring them forward with us.
0: Yeah. Okay. Michael, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And um, that's Michael Curran, Head of Building Services, Energy and Utilities. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, Nola. Thank you.